Hello, and welcome to episode 30 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And this week we have something special because it is number 30. Same place, different time. So in this episode, just like 10 and 20, we're covering the exact same place. Mom's going to be covering the true crime portion of this place. And I will be telling you the ghost stories of that place. And we are going to go about 30 miles out of New York City to be doing that. So, Beth, what did you bring as our cocktail, wine, beer? What did you bring tonight? <laughs> we got a couple compliments and a few emails we got that they really enjoyed recipes or when we try something new. So I wanted to kind of try something I had never tried before. And in my research of New York, I saw that one of their drinks that was made there was port. Nummy. I do like port. I have never had port before. So I wanted to try something new. It is made by the Taylor Wine Company in New York. It was established in 1880. Wow. The wine that we are drinking tonight is a sweet ruby red port. It says it's delicious with dessert or for evening sipping. So I thought that was perfect. (laughs) It says to serve over ice or at room temperature with a twist or with soda. We are literally just drinking it straight at room temperature. Easy peasy. (laughs) Yes. Got a bottle, poured it in a glass. So again, I've never had port. Let's see how we like it. All right. Cheers, Mom. Cheers. Ooh, it smells sweet. Well, it's sweet. It is definitely sweet. Probably a little sweeter than my taste, but... Definitely sweeter than my taste, but it is good for sipping. I can see why this would be just a nice... I don't even see me drinking this with dessert, but maybe for dessert after dinner sometime. Just like a little sip. There is 18% alcohol. I was going to ask you because... I know, don't laugh at me, but the legs on this, those things running down your cup Mm -hmm. are called legs, and they're pretty heavy. Yeah, there's a uh, a good amount of booze in that, but it is. It's very uh, sweet. I don't know really how to describe it. You know what? I pictured sitting in front of a fireplace, sipping on a little glass of port, (laughs) a glass of port with your feet up and your dog at your your chair. (laughs) No children around. Sorry, it's it's my... <laughs> oh, your vision. My bad. Sorry. I kind of taste cherry. Mm-hmm. Like a, um, a dark cherry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a real rich... That's kind of the best I can describe how the flavor is. Yeah. All right. Episode 30, we are going to visit Amityville. Amityville Horror. Well, that's what everyone thinks of is the movie and the book, Amityville Horror. And I guess I was... I mean, I knew of the crimes. I was, hold on, I was 12. So I had heard of the crimes, but I was living in Germany. So we didn't get as much information about it. But that was about it as far as the crimes. I'm more familiar with the Amityville horror and the movie and that. Sure, I think we all are. That stuff. So it was interesting for me to be able to dive into the murders. (laughs) Oh, weird Dive that on sounds. In. <laughs> the water's fine. <laughs> now we're going to Jaws. Okay. Very early. <laughs> Very early. Very early. Very early. Oh, mom glare. Sorry. 
That was just one sip, I swear. Shh. Very early in the morning of Wednesday, November 13, 1974, 30 miles outside of New York City in the Long Island town of Amityville, the DeFeo family was shot and killed while in their beds asleep. The father, Ronald Sr., mother, Louise, 18-year-old Don, 13-year-old Allison, 11-year-old Mark, and 9-year-old John. Jeez. All were found later that day in their beds, lying on their stomachs by the oldest son, 23-year-old Ronald Jr., or as everyone called him, Butch. When police arrived, he told them that he thought it very well could have been something to do with his family's ties to the mafia. Butch was immediately put into police protective custody. But it didn't take very long for the police to figure out that there was something mm, a little odd about the crime scene, and Butch's alibi for the time of the killing was debunked. Butch then went on to say that he was actually at the house, and that mob hitman Lou Fellini and an unknown accomplice forced him to watch as they killed his family. That story also fell apart rather quickly when Fellini's alibi checked out. Police then mm, looked a little closer at Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. He was born on September 26, 1951. His father was a successful car salesman working at his father-in-law's Brooklyn Buick dealership. The family moved to the house on 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville in 1965, shortly before the last son, John was born. They remodeled the home and put in a pool between the house and the boathouse. If you have seen pictures of the house, oh yes, oh my gosh, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It is absolutely the it land around it beautiful. is absolutely beautiful. It is East Coast living. The beautiful, just gosh, I miss the East Coast. Although the house was beautiful on the outside, it was not that way on the inside. Ronald Senior was a very abusive, brutal man who tormented his wife and children, but especially Ronald Jr., who I will refer to as Butch to keep them separated because, well, that's what everyone called him. Now, I also heard that Ronald Sr. also read that Ronald Sr. wasn't very happy because, um, you know, in the movie Fargo, how the father of the wife owns the car dealership and he's very wealthy mm -hmm. He gives his daughter everything and mm -hmm. his grandson everything, but doesn't really care too much for the husband. Right. That's kind of the you exact same scenario. Okay. And so it's like Ronald Sr. didn't really have much say for anything because the father would always step in. So I think after a while, it must have just gotten to him so that he made his control, I guess, at home by physical violence and verbal violence. Mm -hmm. Much was expected of Butch because, well, he was the oldest son and his father was not afraid to use physical violence as discipline. I read in one report that um, one minute Butch's father would be hugging him and saying nice words to him. And the next minute, all of a sudden, he would throw him across the room. Mm. Um, I mean, he, there was that much unknown violence in the house. Things were not better for poor Butch at school. He was very overweight and he was often made fun of by the children at the school. In his teens, Butch began taking amphetamines to lose weight and he did in fact lose quite a bit of weight, but for some reason he also became physically violent against his father as well as his few friends. 
The parents then decided to take him to a psychiatrist to no avail. Pretty soon Butch just was like, I'm not doing this. So they decided to use cash and presents as incentives for good behavior. You do this and we'll buy you this. Hey, they even bought him a speedboat in hopes of placating him. But this just made things worse. And by the time Butch was 17, he was using LSD and heroin and had been expelled from school. Oh my gosh. And still wanting to help him, Butch was handed a position at his grandfather's dealership where he was paid a very good salary for very little work. He would often leave work and go to bars or not show up at all. His salary was spent on guns, alcohol, and drugs. And was he living at home this entire time? Yes. Needless to say, his behavior became worse as time went on. For example, while on a hunting trip, he threatened his friend with a rifle and later that day just acted like nothing had happened. Oh my gosh. He actually pulled the trigger attempting to shoot his father after an argument, but the gun malfunctioned. In October 1974... Same year, October. Butch was entrusted with depositing more than $20,000 in the bank from the car dealership. With a friend, Butch planned a, quote, robbery. The plan was carried out without a problem until the police came to the dealership to just ask Butch some questions about it. Butch refused to assist the police and, in fact, became very angry and belligerent. This response caused his father to become suspicious But when he questioned his son, Butch threatened to kill his father. A few weeks later, family was dead. Shot with a 35 caliber Marlin rifle. As hard as it is to believe, Butch finally admitted to killing his family. On the October 15th, 2012 Amityville Horror YouTube video where Butch is talking during an interview, Butch says, quote, I shot my father first. Then I crossed over and went to my mother's side of the bed. After that, I couldn't stop, even if I wanted to. I couldn't put the gun down. I felt someone was inside moving me. He then proceeded to shoot his brothers in their bedroom, followed by shooting his sisters in their bedrooms. Oh my God, the murders took 15 minutes Holy from beginning cow. to end. Butch then showered and dressed for work. What? He tossed the evidence in a storm drain on the way to work at 6 a.m. From the dealership, he called the house, pretending not to know why his father had not made it to work. At noon, he left work and spent the day with friends, all the while working on building an alibi. All day, he mentioned to whomever he was with that he just couldn't reach anyone at the house, and he tried calling many times. At 6.30, Butch ran into Henry's bar, and yelled that his mother and father had been shot. Five other people from the bar piled into Butch's car with him, and in a few minutes were at the house where they found everyone dead. And this is when the police were called. During his trial in November 1975, Butch claimed that voices told him to kill his family. A psychiatrist for the defense testified that Butch had a dissociative disorder, which caused him to experience the murders as if he was watching them happen instead of committing them himself. The prosecution also put a psychiatrist on the stand who testified that Butch suffered from antisocial personality disorder. And with that, he knew perfectly well what he was doing. Exactly what he was doing. And he could definitely tell the difference between right and wrong. So 
The jury found Butch guilty of six counts of second-degree murder, and he was sentenced to six consecutive life sentences. Good. During a 1979 interview, Butch said of the house, When we first moved in, you know, you start hearing noises and different things at night. Noise, you know, like you thought as though somebody might be walking around. Once in a while, you'd hear screaming, but there wasn't nobody screaming. They felt the devil was in the house. That's why they brought all that religion into the house. Now, by that comment, I'm thinking that he might be referring to the religious statues that you saw. There were some in the house. There were plenty on the ground. Oh, yes. I mean, there was the, like, uh, the Fatima, Mm -hmm. the whole Fatima thing with the... Virgin Mary and then the three children kneeling in front yeah, of in her. Front. And these, mm-hmm. I'm not talking little statues. They, no, they were, were big. they were personally made for the family. They were huge and they were yes. big. Um, yes, almost life size. Yeah. And there was a lot of Virgin Marys around. Yes. And it was very interesting. I don't know if they were Catholic, but. Yes. So I'm, I'm just kind of assuming that the family was Catholic, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, they were. A lot of statues and. Oh, yes, and stuff definitely. around. He then went on to describe the night of the murder, saying that he was in the basement watching Castle Keep, which is a 1969 action comedy drama. And from what I read, the last 15 to 20 minutes of the movie is just total destruction and devastation of German and American troops. Oh, yeah. It's just a total clashing warfare, like battlefield. It's crazy. Blah. This is when he said that he heard his family whispering, And he felt they were conspiring to kill him. He said that at the end of the movie, someone handed him the rifle. It was then that he proceeded to shoot each member of the family while they slept. So it's like... His story keeps changing, though. Oh, yeah. It's never, ever, ever taking full blame. There's always some Some scenario. He's out of body experience. Somebody gave him the gun. Somebody else did it. Like, it's just... Anyway, sorry. His story of the murders in fact, changed throughout his prison stint. According to an interview he gave in 1986, his sister Dawn killed their father after Mm -hmm. arguing with him all day about moving to Florida. The mother then killed Dawn and the other children before turning the gun on herself. And that was because the mother was so unhappy. The parents actually almost got divorced Mm -hmm. at a time. And then... The mother was just so unhappy with her, supposedly with her life, and she didn't want the children to continue being abused, so she wanted to take them with her. Or that's his story. That's his story, yeah. In another account, he claimed that Don killed their parents, as well as the other siblings, before he himself shot Don. He also claimed to be married, and he said he has a daughter, and his wife, Geraldine, has actually come forward. But interestingly enough, there is no marriage certificate on file, and there is no birth certificate for the daughter on file. That he claims to be his? Yeah. But there is like a physical person that he's claiming is his. And she's come forward and says, yes, I'm married, and this is The wife has, yes. The wife has come forward. She sounds kooky, too. Um, And she actually has a marriage certificate. But it, she just has it. The court doesn't have it. Okay. And his story, uh, when he shot Don, he said that it was his wife's brother that went with him to the house because they were alerted that there was stuff going on at the house. So it was his wife's brother that went with him. And he was like, no. <laughs> 
I had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Oh, <clears throat> interesting. Oh, Butch continues to appeal to the parole board, but all appeals have been turned down, and he's still at the Green Haven Correctional Facility in Beekman, New York. So he's still trying to get out, saying that he didn't do it? Yep. Holy bananas. That's One excuse after, after the other. Um, okay. Now let's talk about the murders because that is what is kind of interesting. So I'm going to go off on a tangent a little bit, but it'll make sense. I'll bring you back around. Ooh, let's see if I can follow. Let's I'm go. I'm going to tell you about the Mohegan Montauk tribe, mm-hmm. Native Americans that lived in Amityville hundreds of years ago. Legend has it that the land that is now Ocean Avenue, where the house sits, was a powerful spot perhaps infested with demons. Enemies or those thought to be possessed were left to die on the land and be buried face down. This brings me to the way the family's bodies were all found on their stomach. I'm sure they were posed, but that isn't really the creepiest thing in all of this that I don't think is the creepiest thing. Police concluded that the rifle used had not been fitted with a silencer. Yeah, that... that Okay, go on. And <sighs> so I'm thinking, all right, well, maybe he laced the parents, you know, the family's dinner with something to knock them all out, right? Because nobody got up. I mean, we're talking about killing these people who were in different bedrooms. Well, it took 15 minutes. So why didn't anybody get up? Were they, didn't their autopsy show there was Were no they drugs? drugged? I mean, that was the next question. But then I went on to look at the autopsy and... There was nothing. There was no sedatives used. There was nothing in the autopsy that showed anything. There was no sign of a struggle from any of the victims. So how does one person murder an entire family with a rifle with no one waking up? The thirty-five caliber rifle makes a hell of a lot of noise when you fire it. But according to the November 18th, 1974 police report... None of the neighbors report hearing any shots. Five shots, right? Six? More. The parents were shot twice. Holy cow. That just doesn't make any sense. They did, however, hear the DeFeo's dog, Shaggy, barking. But they didn't really think a lot about it because, well, Shaggy was known in the neighborhood to be a little bothersome and to bark loudly at strange hours. Oh, man. And this has nothing to do with it, but guess what kind of dog Shaggy was? <laughs> oh my gosh, was he an oldie? Yes, he was an old English sheepdog. So oh, I have I to see slide the barking there. Okay, <laughs> I have to slide that in every now and then because they're so rare. I mean, you know, he's Obie. That was fun. Shaggy's a good name for for an Not old very English clever, sheepdog. Though. I mean, <laughs> no, Obie's more clever. <laughs> but that kind of got me to thinking. But why was the dog barking at strange hours? All the time. Yeah. Was there something in the house? Mm-hmm. I mean, Obi doesn't just randomly bark. He no, barks if someone comes to the door. The home, yeah. Otherwise, he doesn't just randomly bark. So, I don't know. Weird. Okay, going back to the murders. So, could there have been two shooters? This idea was actually considered by the investigators at the time of the incident. And many have theorized about the possibility. In fact, in 2012, a a documentary filmmaker, (laughs) Ryan Kotzenbach, claimed that he had found evidence supporting the theory. That evidence being a very old rusty gun or 
piece of a gun that divers found under about five feet of mud and gravel. At the house? Mm -mm. It was, they found it in the canal that was behind the house. Okay, but that could belong to anybody. According to the 2012 Long Island Press article, after further inspection of the gun by a homicide squad detective, the gun was not actually even a pistol, but the handle of a handgun or a flare gun and is not connected to the 94 murders. Yeah, I like that theory of more than one person. But I just don't know who would help him. And was it his wife's brother? <laughs> I mean, mm, I you know. know, it's just so crazy that nobody woke up. Oh no! And they some speculate it was two people because the parents and the kids were shot differently. Really? Mm-hmm. The so kids, were they shot in their beds, or is there evidence that he it looks could like have they corralled were them? Somewhere? No, it looks like they were shot in their beds. I mean, the blood was only in their beds, nowhere else. So he could have corralled them somewhere and then taken them one by one back to their rooms. He could have and tied them all up somewhere. I just, I don't know. I mean, I any scenario is just crazy. Okay, now a little about the house itself. It was built in 1927 at 112 Ocean Avenue. The DeFeos bought it in 1976, and since then it has had five owners one of which legally changed the address to 108 Ocean Avenue. Reason being is because all the people visiting, driving by, coming into the yard. But it's not like the location is actually changing. <laughs> like No, it's not, but the address. He changed the address. Okay. To 13 months after the DeFeo murders, the Lutz family bought the house for $80,000. The family that purchased the house from the Lutzes bought the home for $55,000. The house then sold for $950,000 in 2010. And in 2017, it was bought for $605,000, which was $200,000 below the asking price. Mm. So it's like it keeps going down. Now, I saw that the house was again for sale in 2020 for $850,000 in a June listing. But then when I went back on to Zillow in July, uh, the house was no longer on the market. So I don't know whether it sold or I couldn't find any. I just don't see why changing the address is really going to do anything unless he's getting mail from people. Right. Unless they... They don't know. Well, everyone knows what the house everybody looks like. Everybody knows what the house looks like. I know the windows. Although the have windows been changed, have been changed, but too. everybody knows what the house looks like. Yeah. It's right on the end of the street, too. So it's not like the whole location was changed. I don't have an answer for you. What happened to the original 108? There was probably they was. become 112 and then they get screwed <laughs> with mail. I don't know that there was. <laughs> maybe there wasn't a 108. Maybe the whole been. house, a whole street, had to go down a number. <laughs> <laughs> sucks for you but yeah you're changing your address too <laughs> i don't know nope. but with so with these the price of the house going down as much as it did and it, it did end up going back up mm -hmm. but then it went down again and for the location that it is that's just still low no, I, I think for the location for the location and everything it has a boathouse it has a pool it's right on the canal so it's... i'm thinking one because people coming by the home all the time i'm sure has an influence but do you think it's haunted you know i i'm the i'm the skeptic i know that's why I so i mm, i don't think it is well let's talk about it <laughs>
I don't think there's blood coming out of the walls. Okay? No. And no, I don't no, no, think no. there's pigs That's flying. That's Hollywood. That's <laughs> Hollywood. So the haunting of the Amityville home on Ocean Avenue is one unlike one we've covered before. And the fact that the haunting of the home has really been called into question. The hauntings of the home weren't reported until the Lutz family moved in in 1975. Then 28 days after living there, they up and left the home. They hold their haunting tales of the home to author Jay Anson, who wrote the book. And after that, 16 movies have been made. 16? 16 movies. I know there was a few, but not that many. Gosh. Yep. George and Kathleen Lutz claim to support the book, but have no claim to liking any of the movies. They claim that Hollywood just Hollywooded it up. <laughs> a little too much. Okay. Uh, they said that what really happened to them was much more scary than what any of the movies portrayed. Before I tell the Lutz's story, I want to give a little more history on the home itself. Kind of like you did. <laughs> so we might repeat a little, a couple things here. Sorry, guys. You're very educated in Amityville. We don't share these stories. I mean, this is the first time that I've heard Beth say anything about the paranormal. And this, that no, was the first time. No, we don't discuss stories before. That was the first time she heard me say the true crime. So if we are repeating, it's because we Sorry. haven't heard each other's at all. <laughs> Because even though it wasn't until the Lutz's experience that the hauntings were out in the public, there were some interesting legends that may also be another reason for the hauntings. Mom's kind of mentioned a couple of them. It's not easy to say. No, it's not. Amity is the Latin word for friend. So Amityville, meaning friendly village. Will Rogers lived there as well as Annie Oakley. But that's totally looked over now after the DeFeo murders. And unfortunately, that is what the friendly village of Amityville is known for today. Let me just state that the house's latitude is 40.666. Ooh. Just saying. So I landing- thought you were going to say it's in the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> Mom, that was two weeks ago. Is that still haunting you? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> The land dates back, like mom said, to the Montauket Native American tribe. Now, according to legend, the land of Ocean Avenue. There's a place off Ocean Avenue. Sorry. <laughs> the yellow card song keeps coming in my head. Um, the land on Ocean Avenue. <laughs> now you're all humming it too, aren't you? <laughs> Gosh, this drink went straight to my head. Okay. The land, according to legend, like mom said, was a power spot or an area infested with demons. Supposedly, those with evil spirits were buried in that land, face down, blah, blah, blah. We've already talked about this, like mom mentioned before. But I will note here that many Native American tribes in the area today, as well as town officials, dispute the idea that there were any burial sites on or near the plot of land where the house sits. Oh, again, legend. Jay Anson, the author of the book, The Amityville Horror, A True Story, even made mention of a legend dating back to the times of the Salem witch trials. According to the legend, John Ketchum was kicked out of Massachusetts. The state. Like, I mean, you must have done something really bad if you were kicked out of an entire state. <laughs> I just imagine like these Boston bouncers be like, Get out of here. <laughs> and fold their arms yeah. on the state line. Get out of Massachusetts. Anyway, he gets kicked out of the state for practicing witchcraft and moves to the land on or near Ocean Avenue. He starts doing witchcraft there again, and legend has it, it was dark magic. And he buried a body there where the home resides. 
Now, of course, researchers have looked into it. They found that a John Ketchum and his whole family were hung in Massachusetts around this time, but find it very interesting that there is a Ketchum Avenue in Amityville very near the house, dating back to that time as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't know which story is true or not, but that's very interesting. In 1782, a family built their home on the lot where the murders took place and all this. So they built their house there, and then one day they just picked up and moved the whole house out of there. They took the whole house? <laughs> uh-huh. Have, haven't you ever seen a house move? No, I've never seen a house move. I've not been living somewhere and be like, I got to get out of here. Let's pack up the whole house and go. <laughs> Come on, brick by brick, let's move it. No, they don't take the house up. okay let's wrap it up in a pretty bow and move it across town like it's just weird sorry in 1924 the house that's there now was built by the monahan family now the monahan family lived out their days there raising children and growing old at the home with no mention of hauntings or legends right in 1965 the defeos purchased the home and well we know what happened there Now let's talk about those religious statues that mom mentioned. So there were multiple of these religious statues and icons in the garden and in and around the house. Right. Apparently, he had all of those items made especially for him and his family. And those bigger statues that we were talking about that Mm -hmm. were out front, he purchased those. You say he, you mean the father? Yes. Okay. He had gone to a Catholic church in Canada and begged for someone to come do an exorcism on the home. Oh, really? Six months before they were killed, claiming that the devil was inside their home and they needed an exorcism right away. So maybe what the son said about those religious statues being all over was actually a true statement. That is an actual fact that six months before they were killed, he begged them to come do an exorcism on the home. Interesting. So if you believe that it's haunted or not, I'm just saying that's pretty odd. So 13 months after the DeFeo murders, George and Kathy let's move into the home. Would you do that? Could you do that 13 months after a murder like that happened? That's, well, I don't know if I could even move in 50 years after, 50 years yeah, after it I don't happened. Know. Not like that kind of a murder. Like if somebody Mm-mm. died in the home, that's one thing. That's but... one thing. That's totally different. But no. So they moved in there knowing what happened there. It's not like they were, they were blindsided by it all. Here's, here's something even creepier. They slept in the beds that the DeFeos were murdered in. No, they didn't. Not in the actual mattresses, of course, but it was the exact, they left furniture there from the DeFeo family. Okay. That's just, that's so just creepier than creepy. They in the same beds that they slept in. So Kathleen and George were newlyweds and Kathleen had had three children from a previous marriage who lived with them. Daniel, Christopher, and Melissa, as well as a black lab, Harry. <laughs> We got Shaggy and Harry. Yep. Someone <laughs> 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 needs a haircut. Okay. <laughs> the names are not real. Oh, okay. The home was priced well below what it should have been because of the murders. Like mom said, there was a dock right on the water, a boathouse for their new boat they had just purchased. Mm. Six bedrooms, which was such a great draw for their family. Of course. They were so excited that they were able to even afford this home, let alone live and raise their family in it. It was their dream home. They purchased the home for (laughs) $80,000. 
I mean, today the surrounding homes are around about a million dollars. So yeah, Holy that's smokes. pretty cool. It was a steal. The sign that hung in the front yard when the DeFeos lived there still hung when the Lutzes moved in. So it's this big sign and it said, high hopes on it. And this became the Lutz's new motto for their new life. Life was looking up. Okay. Because they obviously knew what had happened in the home, they called upon a priest. Now, I've read and seen his name differently in places. Another thing that makes these facts a little questionable, but I gather it was Father Ralph Pecorino. Pecorano. Mm -hmm. He came and blessed the house the day the family was moving in. So this story is odd, but the priest was going around blessing the home with holy water, saying prayers, you know, cleansing it. And he went into the first room at the top of the stairs. He said he walked in and the room was absolutely freezing. Now, it was December, but he said it was a chill that went straight to his bones. He started blessing the room and he heard in a deep guttural voice, get out. And then he was slapped across the face by an unseen force. I read that someplace too. So this is where I'm like, what? Because he didn't tell the Lutzes this. What? He just told them, so that room up there, uh, don't make it into a bedroom. I felt something kind of dark in there and uh, I'd spend as little time in that room as possible. <laughs> so they made it into the sewing room. And in this room is where throughout the month that the family lived in the home, the room was constantly filled. I mean, filled with flies, dead flies in December. I was going to ask you what time of the year it was. That's weird. So the Lutzes moved in and celebrate Christmas soon after they move in. The house is a dream come true for the family besides the flies. But really, they don't feel anything right away. It's Christmas time. Everything is bright and cheery. They're busy with settling in. Yes, Kathleen says at night she would hear sounds, but it's an old house and it's new to them. Any new house you move into, you hear yeah. new sounds. She just thought it was the home settling. She didn't think anything about it. After Christmas was taken down, though, things in the home totally changed. The cheeriness was gone. The noises heard at night were that of a blade scraping the walls inside the home. Loud, constant banging noises odd stains showing up and disappearing on the bathroom fixtures as well as on the hardwood floors temperatures changing in rooms one minute it'd be super hot and then the next like absolutely freezing cold george started to become obsessed with the fireplaces he was always cold and would constantly be cutting firewood and poking at the fire to make it hot he also started waking up covered in sweat in a jolt every morning at 3.15. Oh, my gosh. Which was supposedly around the same time that, that the Butch murders happened and mm -hmm. murdered his family. Kathleen described it. Is it Kathy or Kathleen? Kathy. Crap. It's Kathy. Gosh darn it. Why do I always mess up names in these stories? <sighs> Sorry, guys. It's Kathy Lutz. Kathy described it as a three-ring circus. They were all experiencing different fears. Fights started to break out between the family members. George and Kathy were scared, so they reached out to whoever they could to get more information on the DeFeos, on their home, and on the land they lived on. More and more things kept happening. Kathy started having vivid, incredibly vivid dreams about the DeFeo family, like she was in the body of Mrs. DeFeo. Oh, well, maybe she could tell us what happened then. She said she could see and feel where the bullets went into her and where they came out of her as well as in which order the family members were killed in. While they were discussing things with people while getting more information, the police couldn't believe she knew all these details. Those were not things that the public were made aware of. 
And she knew them. Interesting. George, on the other hand, couldn't sleep. And as he walked the house checking on the children and his wife, as she slept, he noticed them all sleeping on their stomachs face down. Oh, no way. Just as the DeFeo family had been laid to rest. The youngest child, Melissa, and they called her Missy, she was five at the time that they lived there. One morning, she came into the kitchen and asked her mom, Mommy, do angels talk? Kathy answered, Yes, I believe they do. Why? Missy answered, Because I think I have an angel in my room. Mm-hmm. She named this friend Jody and described her as a pig that had the ability to be big or small, visible or invisible. They dismissed the invisible friend until one day, while out cutting firewood, George saw two very visible red eyes staring down at him from Missy's room, and nobody was supposed to be home. He ran up to find the house was totally empty. Mm -hmm. On another occurrence, the family was all gathered watching TV when they saw red eyes outside the window watching the family. George ran out and found cloven hoof prints in the snow leading out to the boathouse. No way. The boathouse door had been smashed in, but nobody was in there. Do you think that could have been people playing a pr- prank on them? I mean... But why the pig? I mean, that had not been... Why cloven hoof prints? And I mean, sure, maybe people are playing pranks on them, but that's kind of just sick. Like, why would they be well, playing are pranks sick. on a Well, because they kids, moved into house that house so quickly. I guess. I mean, I, I guess. And the hooves could have been like, you know, the devil, you know. Sh- sure, that could be. But Missy, a little five-year-old talking to an invisible friend. Well, I mean, so anyway, go ahead. They tried to get a hold of that priest again, but every time they tried to call him or he called them, the phone calls would be filled with static and they couldn't communicate with him. Then one night, something terrible happened. Something so terribly awful, the couple won't even divulge the information. Huh? Not even in the book. It scared them to their core. And on January 14th, so 20 days after moving into the home, the family got up and left. And they left everything, everything behind. Yep. Their clothing, their furniture, the DeFeo's furniture, <laughs> their collectibles, their fine china, their new boat, two new motorcycles, everything. The priest had told them to do this because whatever was in that house could attach to any yeah. one of those items. They returned the house to the bank and sold it and all the belongings in it at auction, barely walking away with a couple thousand dollars. Oh, dear. They moved to California to be near Kathy's mom and tried to start over. And start over they did because all of this became a book and, like I said, 16 (laughs) movies. Now, before the book or movies, soon after the couple got up and left their home, the infamous demonologists and paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren were called out to investigate the home. They're the ones that influenced the Conjuring movies and Annabelle and stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, they had not heard about the DeFeo killings. They had been on vacation or like an investigation, but they were in in Germany. (laughs) They were in Australia. Yeah. So they didn't know the details of the killings when they received the call from former Channel 5 news anchor Marvin Scott. He had heard of the Lutzes moving in and then out so quickly and knowing the reputation of the Warrens called them. Now, the Lutzes had just moved out. They were still living a little outside of town before they had left for California. Okay. The house had been locked, so they called George to get the key, and he wouldn't go anywhere near the house to give them the key, like not even a couple blocks from the house. Mm -mm. He wanted to go nowhere near it. 
He had them meet at a pizza parlor far from the home. Now, when the Warrens walked into the home, they claimed it totally reeked of death and was made even more eerie with how the home was left. Dishes in the sink, washed from supper, toys left on the ground from where the children were playing, plants sitting on the counter draining from being watered. I mean, they literally got up and left. Like they didn't wake up in the morning and go, we're getting out. They, no, they boom, left in the middle out. of the night. Something terrible happened so badly that they just got up and left. I wonder if, go ahead. Well, oh, they won't talk about it. I wonder if one of the kids tried to kill them. And they say what that happened that night was scarier than what any Hollywood movie could ever portray or ever guess at what happened. They just, they won't even talk. I mean, if one of the kids, like the little girl even, tried to kill them. That would be ugh, scarier ugh. than... I would leave everything behind, too. That would be scarier than anything. I would leave everything. Knowing that just... she was possessed by something, because there's no way a five-year-old would do that otherwise. No, and she was saying things that a five-year-old like wouldn't even know, wouldn't know to say. Just wondering if that... That's actually, I didn't even think about that. And they wouldn't want to express that because then the co- child would be taken away from them and put into or something, a... yeah. Oh, that would be... Ugh. Okay. There were many high paranormal people brought in for this investigation. Okay, that sounds like they were high on something. No, they were very, they were like, they're very studious in the paranormal. Dr. Brian Riley, a parapsychologist from England. Dr. Carlos Osis, president of the American Society of Psychic Research and a couple people from Duke University. So it was okay. a smaller group of investigators, but very educated. Intellectuals. Yes. I'm not going to go into too much depth into the investigation. Let's save that for the Patreon group, shall we? Oh, yes, definitely. Good idea. <laughs> I'll post the link to subscribe to our Patreon, and I will tell you guys all about the investigation there. Many claim that the Lutzes invented the story to deliberately defraud the public for money. And actually, Snopes, the infamous fact-checking website, came as far as finding an admission from William Weber, Butch DeFeo's lawyer, admitting that he, along with the Lutzes, quote, created this horror story over many bottles of wine, mm-hmm. unquote. I read that too. And he had gone along with them in hopes to gain a new trial for his client. The Lutzes stand their ground, though, with their story, even taking and passing a few polygraph tests. George said, quote, I believe that this has stayed alive for 25 years because it's a true story. It doesn't mean that everything that has ever been said about it is true. It's certainly not a hoax. It's really easy to call something a hoax. I wish it was. It's not. In a 2012 documentary called My Amityville Horror, they interviewed Daniel Lutz, who was 10 at the time when they lived there. All right. And this horror was very, very real for him. He was terrified talking about the house. Now, the other son, did I read this incorrectly, won't talk about it at all? Correct. He doesn't do any interviews. Correct. Now, nothing. Daniel, like I said, that's all I can really say. He, It was just very, very real to him. Mm-hmm. He was terrified. He didn't really like go into depth or detail, but it was very real to him. And researchers have discovered many holes in the Lutz's story. Over 100 factual errors were actually discovered by one researcher, Rick Morin. And here are the errors. Just kidding. I'm not going to go over a hundred errors. I'm sure my eyes went whoop. <laughs> she looked at me like, what? <laughs> I'm actually done with my story. But yeah, <laughs> is it haunted? 
there is some proof of hauntings before the Lutz family was even there. But since then, other families have lived in the home and still do. And they're not reporting anything. No, in fact, I saw an interview with the couple that moved in after the Lutzes. And they were like, the only thing that's bothering us is the people. Is the people that come by the home. That are coming by the home to view where these ghosts live and where a murder, you know, the murder scene. That's the only thing that bothers us. There is nothing in this house. I just find it. I mean, it's such a con if it is a hoax. But they've lived it till the day they died then. And they're divorced now. Yeah, they got divorced like in the 90s. I'm Mm -hmm. pretty sure. Mm -hmm. I know Kathy had passed at the time that I watched the documentary. I'm not sure about George. But I mean, their story remained the exact same. No details changing forever. I mean, no details ever changed. Was the priest ever interviewed? So he was by the Warrens. Okay. And I guess for the longest time, he didn't want to go on record. He didn't want to be tied to it. And so that's why, apparently, from what Ed Warren said in his interview, that's why you can't really find the priest's name in a lot of places. I see. Until he came forward much later. You discuss what he said to the Warrens? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In the Patreon episode, we'll definitely dive into the Warren investigation. I just said, again, we just don't want to make these episodes too long, but we also want to treat our patrons. Oh, that that's going to be a good one. Oh, gosh. Just think of that. Just Google that picture that they caught. Have you oh, not the seen boy? That? Of the little boy at the top of the stairs? With the glowing eyes. Oh, never thought of that. Oh, I just man, you just sit here every... and talk to me about this, and I'll just come up with all kinds. Of things. I n- I just get goosebumps every time I see that photo. It's pretty creepy. And I mean, Ed and Lorraine Warren—they're demonologists. She's a sensitive. Like they've studied this. That's what their career is on. I don't feel like they'd make this up. But then, why doesn't anybody else say it's haunted? Unless they fed into it. I I, you know, I'm just so. I don't know. Well, you know, and another thing is I've read that the Lutzes, I mean, like I said, they left their brand new boat, their two brand new motorcycles. Granted, they didn't make any money on leaving all that stuff behind. Like I said, they sold it all at auction and walked away with a few thousand dollars. I think they said like 1800 is all they walked away with. Jeez. Yeah. But I think... I also read that they just had hit a rough patch with money and they just couldn't afford the home and all the new vehicles they had bought. And I just read that too. Everything. And so that was kind of a theory why they also just picked up and left is because, I mean, we hear about that all the time. Just people getting up and leaving in the middle of the night because they just don't want to pay anymore. Yeah. But people like that pack a suitcase and pack toys and stuff like that. Yeah. And then they disappear. It's not like these people they didn't hung around suit. town. They hung around town to make sure that they could sell it to the bank and follow the right procedures. They didn't just get up, leave and disappear. Hmm. No, it's it's definitely an interesting story. And there's story. really not been a lot of investigations beside the Warrens. I don't think there's actually been another ghost investigation there. Like a, a real one like that. I don't think so either because, because the owners, residence. yeah, the owners after that didn't were not interested in that at all. So I saw this guy is filming or his girlfriend or whatever is filming him um, sneaking on the premises. Oh gosh, there's so many of those videos on YouTube. It's hysterical. And he's just like, oh, okay. All the shades are pulled down. I can't even see in here. You know, he's like complaining about it. And the one guy that is kind of using the 
the footage, you know, in the background was like, you're trespassing, idiot. <laughs> it's just like all these little comments, you know, oh, all my this guys. Gosh, I love it the was commentary. So funny. And then he's like, oh, there's the boathouse. And, and I, you know, where the crimes and the things like, oh, I think I hear something. And then they're all scattering, you know. And it's just like, oh, my God. Anyway, it was it was just funny. And I'm sure that happens all the time. All the time. I mean, unfortunately. But I'm sorry. You're moving into a murder scene. Like, you know, that's going to happen. This is one of the biggest known American. I know, but I guess you think that after 20 some, I don't know. 20-something years, but... Yeah, but then Hollywood the movies keeps keep... 16 movies! That's that's true. Here's another little funny story. So, you know how Facebook, like, tracks what you look at? <laughs> yeah. So I always get all this true crime stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, of course, I get an ad for Bradford Exchange selling the America's Most Haunted Village collection. <laughs> no. There is so, something like this for Christmas? Oh, it's not for Christmas. It's for, for your collection. So you like subscribe and it's like, I don't know, $50 a month or whatever. And they send you a new house every month. <laughs> and the advertisement is a picture of the Amityville house. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm like half tempted to get this stuff for the podcast room. But then oh, I was God. just like, That's I don't know. Ridiculous. But I am somebody who lives in the comments of these kind of things. I love to read what people write. Okay. And so I go to the comments of this advertisement Mm -hmm. and there's these people you know complaining like why would anybody want to glorify a home of a murder and like i understand i i do and so then of course i'm just sitting there reading all these comments and this guy comments to that person that says that and Mm -hmm. he says oh well what happened there and his name was david defeo no and he says oh what happened there and the lady, you know, snide comments, comments back. And she's like, you know, there's something called Google. And then somebody else commented back to him like, oh, there was an entire family that was killed there by one of the, you know, one of the sons or whatever. And he goes, oh, what were their names? And nobody's catching on. And to then the somebody else comments and yet? they're like, you know, there's Google for a reason. And like being just snarky to him. And he was He was being so passive, like, well, what was their names? Like, (laughs) and and nobody's catching on to his last name. And I, I never comment on these things, but I was laughing so hard because this, this string of conversation was going on for so long and he kept just being so like innocent in it. Like, oh, that's terrible. But what were their names? (laughs) And. I finally just like commented back to this last post that he said that and I just put LOL I am dying at this comment and he he just like did a laughing emoji at me but oh my gosh I just thought that was so funny that has nothing to do with this crime but I thought that was just so funny I had to share so did anybody ever pick up on it one guy finally did I went and checked a couple days later because people kept laughing at my comment so I went to go check a couple days later and some guy goes oh ha just read your name (laughs) I was like, this had gone on for like two weeks of people just being like snarky to him and like, or, or very kind people giving him like the whole Wikipedia page of like what happened. But yeah, it was was a pretty funny guy. So if you listen to this podcast, you're a really funny dude. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, people 
who think they know everything probably don't know the names of the victims, Mm-mm. you know, Mm-mm. because they know the dang Lutz story. I know. So anyway, our, our uh, first Bradford Exchange collection should arrive this week. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> and it's Amityville. I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> but I was tempted for a second there. Uh, you would have been. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, this was a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> the house isn't haunted. The end. So thank you guys for listening to this nonsense. Oh, if any of you really did get those Bradford Exchange houses, send me a picture. Are they really cool? Are they kind of cheesy? <laughs> Mom's rolling her eyes at me. I'm very curious. I'll tell you, honestly, the comment that you made, because I didn't really think the house was haunted, but the fact that Ronald Sr. went and tried to get an exorcist right before the killings, that it's put eerie. actually some little tingle in my head about that. A little tingle in your head? little weird tingle down my spine, actually. Yeah. yeah. It's weird. Mm-hmm. And all those statues were put up for a reason. Weird. Was, yeah. Oh, mom's stewing over there again. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm wondering She's if thinking they... about the Bermuda Triangle and... I mean, did they pray a lot too? I mean, it's like, I'd like to know that. I mean... And did, you or... can't ask Butch. The guy is a pathological liar. Oh my gosh. He's... Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't know if he's coming or going. I mean... No. He, yeah. Anyway... Thanks, guys, for listening. Next week, we will be covering Arkansas. Arkansas. Yay! Mom's I've been really super, excited, super about, excited this. about this. <laughs> Can you tell? I get the paranormal. We will be posting links and photos and all that good stuff on our social media. You can find us at Killer Hangover Podcast. If you want to share your stories with us, you can email us at killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. Again, if you like the podcast, we would love for you to take a little bit of time to support us and leave us a good rating and review. We'd love the support that way. If you want to support us even more, you can join our Patreon page. It's $5 a month and you get the extra episode as well as we're going to be releasing merch very soon. So you get the first dibs on that as well as blooper reel and episodes released early. There you go. Hey, it's worth it just to hear about the investigation. There you go. (laughs) And last month's extra Patreon episode was really cool, too, about Perry Smith and Dick Hickok. You can find us on Patreon at Killer Hangover Podcast. The link is also posted in the description of this episode as well as our social media. All right, Mom. This was interesting. It it actually was. (laughs) The research was interesting for me because I never really dove into the murders. No, I honestly didn't know all that information as well. And then the paranormal was interesting just because I'm such a skeptic. Because it wasn't just Hollywood. I didn't want to just give the Hollywood version. Oh, gosh, we've seen enough of that. Yeah, 16 times. (laughs) Well, no, I've only seen it once. (laughs) It was enough. Oh, this is fun, Mama. Oh. Cheers, Mama. Love you, kid.